What's up, nerds? This week's going to be a little bit different. I don't have a guest today, and that's probably a good thing because I'm going to be discussing a topic that most people don't want to touch with a 10-foot pole. But I'm going to touch it. I'm going to touch it all over. If you had told me when I started this podcast, I'd be talking about J.K. Rowling for two weeks in a row. I would have said, you're a liar, Harry. But here we are sorting it out. Last week, I talked to my buddy Jared King about the controversy surrounding this new video game, Hogwarts Legacy. A lot of people are boycotting it over some things that J.K. Rowling has said that um, have been interpreted as being transphobic. And there's a very, very large portion of the population now, or at least not a large population, but there is a very loud portion of the population that has been calling for banning Harry Potter books and saying that J.K. Rowling is dangerous. And like, I found this like flipping of the script would be very fascinating because we've all kind of been aware now of cancel culture and how people that were once beloved in uh, the population's eye suddenly earn everyone's ire and they get just hated on. And I wanted to dig deeper into what's going on with that. And really as it pertains to JK Rowling, who is such a beloved person too the LGBT community, which seems to be the most outraged at the things she said. So I'm going to be going over what she said. I want to talk a little bit more about her life that I've been learning about. I've been going deep this past week um, on JK Rowling. And I think I want to add some perspective to this conversation and actually talk about what she said and where her opinions might actually be. I can't speak for her, but I'm going to let her speak for herself. And, um, What's nice is Megan Phelps Roper, almost with poetic timing, um, released a podcast, um, or at least is in the process of releasing episodes for this podcast called The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling. Now, Megan Phelps Roper, um, if you don't remember the name, is the daughter of, I believe his name is Fred Phelps, the founder of the Westboro Baptist Church, a very fundamentalist Christian church that is famous for protesting uh, military service member funerals saying God hates the F word for gays and like very, very like ob objectively terrible things. Like these are people that were deep in that cult mindset. And Megan Phelps Roper is the daughter of the man that started that church and did all of that. She ended up leaving that fundamentalist worldview through Twitter, through conversations she had with Twitter. And she met actually the person that is her husband now on uh on that platform by talking about things and having open conversations about these kind of controversial things from a rational respectful perspective or i guess operative so that's kind of what i want to do as well i want to go over what you said i've got an article pulled up we'll go through all of that and um yeah i mean i think megan's phelps roper is someone that having been in a kind of like well the epitome of religious ideology cult mindsets, breaking free of that with other perspectives and open conversation. I think she's in a unique position to dive into this shift in the culture. And I mean, she just got out of this kind of mindset. And there's a lot of culty things that are happening with a lot of these outrage mobs. And I really like the perspective. She, she wrote a letter to JK Rowling saying, Hey, can we talk about this? And then so she's doing a podcast right now um, produced by the free press and it's called The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling. And I'll play a few audio clips from certain things from it um, throughout the conversation we have today because she talks to some of the lawyers in some cases that were um, ongoing with schools trying to ban the books because of witchcraft and other fundamentalist Christians, people that were giving J.K. Rowling a lot of crap. But So we all know her as 
the author of Harry Potter and a very beloved figure throughout all of literature. And we'll talk about her background and her life. I will go into that right now, actually. I've got notes and everything for this one. I'm excited. Um, yeah, so Megan Phelps Roper, daughter of Fred Phelps, Westboro Baptist Church founder. Talked about the podcast, Witch Trials J.K. Rowling, um, which is ongoing now. She released the third episode of it, about three, about two and a half hours of content so far um, the other day. So I've been listening to that, and it's been really good just sitting down with J.K. Rowling and talking and going into a lot of the culture things, of like how things started on 4chan, what Tumblr was like, where some of the societal changes happened. It's very interesting. I really like it and recommend it. So something I did not know about J.K. Rowling. So her name, she has no middle name. There is no K. Her name's Joanne, Joanne Rowling. And when the reason she went with JK is because when she went to her publisher, I think where did I wrote down 12 different publishers didn't want to publish Harry Potter. And when she finally found one that would, they were afraid that boys wouldn't read the books if it was written by a female author. So they chose a gender, a gender neutral name for her and just made up the K, JK Rowling. Um, Joanne, when she was when she was younger, she was in abusive relationships. Um, she got married to somebody, and well, she was engaged to someone, got pregnant, and then I think she got pregnant. Then they became engaged, and then she ended up um, having a miscarriage and losing that child. And then the relationship ended up becoming they they, they still got married, but ended up becoming abusive. This man was very very controlling, and um, like didn't want her to go around anywhere by herself or wanted to know what she was doing at all times, like extremely abusive physically and emotionally. Um, even after she was famous and she divorced him and, and moved on and had another daughter, the, the, she had like reporters outside her home. Like when she first hits the fame and she's really starts being affected by it. This guy is still haunting her. Like the, her, she finally was able to buy a house. She was on welfare when she was writing this first book. Or, or darn near it either way. She was at her rock bottom where she was basically running from an abusive ex-husband with a daughter she had now. She had already been trying to get over the trauma of losing her first pregnancy. All while, you know, just holding on to this dream of writing this book and having this manuscript she would have to hide from him because she was worried if he found it, he was going to destroy it. So even when she's famous, she can finally afford a house. A dream of hers for a long time. She's got a house. She's got this new family she's starting. And this guy still comes and breaks in. So she is, even when she's famous and has notoriety, she's also still unsafe and worried about this man coming after her. So when the book started coming out, a lot of fundamentalist Christians were trying to ban Harry Potter. They're worried about kids being exposed to ideas that include witchcraft being okay. And there's a lot of things in the Bible that are make, make Christians very fearsome of anything dealing with the occult, you know, and from that perspective of the biblical perspective, yeah, it's very scary stuff from coming from where those fundamentalist views come from. The source material is pretty clear about witchcraft and things being no, no, bad juju, zero out of 10 would not recommend. So there was a very loud outcry for the banning of the books and even cases where lawyers had to get involved with whether the book could be available in public libraries or not. So before I get into some of that case, I want to go through some of the things that J.K. Rowling has actually said. Um, I have an article here from Yahoo News that is uh, basically going through, let me read the headline, J.K. Rowling's transphobia controversy, a complete timeline. 
by Brendan Morrow, staff writer for Yahoo, and it is uh, released on February 13th. This is fairly recent. I'm recording this on the same day I'm going to release it, Monday, March 6th. So, uh, let's see. So, March 2018, Rowling likes a transphobic tweet, says it was an accident. In 2018, she slammed liking a tweet that referred to trans men as, quote, women in dresses, end quote. But the author's spokesperson tells Pink News that this was purely an accident. Quote, I'm afraid J.K. Rowling had a clumsy and middle-aged moment, and this is not the first time she has favorited by holding her phone incorrectly, the spokesperson says. So she said then she was screenshotting comments that interested me as a way of reminding myself what I might want to research later. So it wasn't an endorsement of it, she says. And it's basically that she like, followed someone that has said some transphobic things as in like she followed a youtuber and said there's no such thing as a lesbian with a penis and then it real kind of really kind of blew up in 2020 um five months later rowling again faces backlash for reportedly liking another transphobic tweet in this case one that misgendered psychotherapist and photographer alex drummond and described her as quote an adult human male who claims to be a lesbian parentheses yes he's keeping his dangling bits and skipped the hormones and parentheses so she she liked that tweet. She didn't say it. But here's when I got tuned into it in June 2020. She Rowling shared a tweet um, with an article headline that said, creating a more equal post-COVID-19 world for people who menstruate. And Rowling added to her sharing of that article, people who menstruate. I'm sure there used to be a word for those people. Someone help me out. Woman, wimpund, woomud. So that's where everything kind of started rolling. Um, pun not intended, actually, but I'll take it. That's when I started tuning into it. And I didn't really pay a lot of attention, but I was like, okay, I was aware of it at this point. And so I didn't really go super in-depth into her backstory. I, I really recommend listening to The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling by Megan Phelps Roper. It's on Spotify. It's where I listen to it, but I'm sure it's available wherever podcasts are because they go into the background of all these social changes, like I was saying, and they give a lot of really good context. And I'm going to play a little bit of it here in a minute. But my perspective on some of this is so far, at least what we've gotten to in this article, is that this is a woman who has been struggling with things that are very unique to women. And I obviously can't say that I understand these struggles, but I understand that there are unique struggles that women go through and overcome. I mean, this is a person whose identity was changed so she wouldn't sound like a woman because they were afraid that would hurt her book sales. So she has been, she's gone from rock bottom, some of the, the hardest things that a modern woman can go through and built up herself. Like she, she, she said during a Harvard commencement address, she was asked to give that, Rock bottom was a solid foundation on which she rebuilt her life. So this is a person that has unique challenges that are unique to women. And she's slowly seeing the intrusion of women's spaces and identity by men, trans women, whatever way you want to identify it. You have people who are not able to experience these same unique struggles and challenges and experiences that women biological women have kind of invading these spaces i can see that perspective from a lot of different people especially someone who's overcome so much trying to say like hey it's okay to just be a woman this is our unique challenges we can overcome this stuff and then you have other people who are saying like oh, okay well i'm a woman now too because i say so 
you know, and this is not too, I think there's a very good case for there being individuals who feel like they're born in the wrong body and they want to identify a different way. This is nothing against any of that. And JK Rowling says some things along those same lines and other tweets later on as well. But I think there needs to be a discussion. If we're going to be talking about trans rights, where they begin, I think we need to also discuss if there's any overlap or superseding of women's rights in that time. Is JK Rowling a transphobe or is she a feminist? I think she's a feminist. I think she's just seeing that people are taking over these opportunities. Like women have fought so hard for green suffrage, voting, women's rights. We finally get into a place where there's a lot more equality and a lot more of a level playing field for women. And now the Miss Universe is a biological male. You've got um, athletes who went through puberty as with male hormones, testosterone, increased bone density, different kinds of muscle fibers versus fast twitch, slow twitch. Like you have different biological components coming into female like athletic spaces and taking away opportunities from the athletic spaces, beauty pageants. Like there's a lot of different cases. Like if you want to talk about patriarchy, I think that needs to be part of the discussion. Going on. Um, I don't really care what Devin Radcliffe said. I'm going through the article some more now. Let's see. Uh, okay, here we go. So here, so Rowling, she goes on to slam those who say that, quote, women must accept and admit that there is no material difference between trans women and themselves. End quote. Rowling then reveals she is a survivor of domestic abuse and sexual assault and says this led to her this led her to sympathize with women who have concerns around single sex spaces, arguing against throwing open the doors of bathrooms and changing rooms to any man who believes or feel he's a woman. And I think there's a solid case there for physical safety. You know, it's when I see women who um, talk about being uncomfortable with sharing women's bathrooms with trans women. It's not because these are people who have transitioned. It's because there are plenty of instances of these people who have male biological traits, usually male stature, larger, stronger, physically imposing. And you also have the male aggression. Like, like men are much more assertive by on average and much more disagreeable. I'm not sure the perfect word here I'm trying to find is, but I'll work my way around to it. But they're much more aggressive in many different ways. And these mannerisms are much more imposing and can be very intimidating and for good reason. Like you don't have a lot of men who are living in fear of their ex showing up to physically abuse them, but that's a reality for countless women throughout the world, you know? So I understand where she's coming from with this. Let's see. Someone else wrote later for Vox. Uh, all of her, all of the ideas she expressed in her essay are transphobic. Constance Gray later writes for Vox. They actively seek to take rights away from trans people, and they treat trans identity as something that's up for debate rather than an intrinsic part of human beings who deserve to be treated with dignity. But where's like that? Didn't he, didn't he have to go both ways? If you have women who are uncomfortable sharing these spaces with people that used to be men then we're, they should be able to have some dignity and say in that too, especially when it comes to like shared locker rooms for youth athletes and 
situations where you don't have the freedom to just go to a different bathroom or something if you're uncomfortable in that one. Like there's plenty of spaces within schools with minors involved where you don't have an option to just use a different bathroom. You have to be sharing these spaces in these locker rooms. And it's probably uncomfortable for a lot of them. It's already uncomfortable in the first place when you're, you know, going through hormonal changes and you're hanging out, looking at all your friends in different states of development and, and growing and it's it's everyone's self-conscious and awkward in the first place and you're going to add that layer to that, that that potential for sexual violence real or perceived it's it's there i think and i don't think we can have an honest conversation about these topics without factoring that in either that's something i would absolutely adore i would be so happy to have um someone that's that is trans come on and talk to me about this i want to have a respectful conversation about it i want to share the perspective of it i want to bring some rationality to all of this because when we just start saying you can't talk about this and you can't support this person in any kind of way whether it be direct or indirect we start losing out on the nuance of these human experiences. And that's where the beauty of it is. Like, like if we're erasing this unique identity of, of that women have, then all of the struggles, all of the survival stories, all of the resilience means nothing anymore because it's just being erased. Why, why, why be so proud of what you're doing as a woman with these unique challenges? And like, we need to be able to recognize that they have these unique challenges, that there are things that part, but being a woman that like, no one's going to know what it's like to menstruate except for those who actually do menstruate. But just say like, like women menstruate, that's who menstruates. So you can't say people who menstruate like that's, that's women. There is a word for it. It's a unique, beautiful identity. And we need to not take away from that. So I would love to talk more about where where the overlap is, where trans rights begins and women's rights ends. I think that there's a conversation that needs to be had, but I'm just talking to myself at the moment. So if you want to get in on it, please hit me up. I'd love to explore this topic some more. Moving on. Is there anything else I want to go over in this article? Let's see. I'm reading through it a little more now. But so I have I have gone on to J.K. Rowling's Twitter a few like a month ago. So I wanted to see her name was in the news regarding the Hogwarts legacy controversy. And I wanted to see what she was saying. And I was looking for things regarding, you know, the trans issues. And I looked and I saw the last like week and a half. She had only been talking about the women's protests in Iran and the Middle East. So from everything that I've seen on her Twitter feed so far, I like a follower, but I'm not deep in it. I really think she's that she's a feminist. She's defending women and that women's identity. I don't think she's trying to take away anyone else's, but she's just saying, hey, this is ours. It's sovereign. And okay, so let's go into a little bit of the podcast um, that I was telling you about. I got a few clips here I want to play from uh, the Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling, a podcast with Megan Spelfroper I've been talking about. This is from Chapter 2, Burn the Witch. I have to share my screen first. I'm trying to do all this through. It's the first time I've done this kind of thing. So bear with me. Let's share computer audio. Here we go. Always happen. And they always have in American history. No, that is not the right sound, but hang on. Let me get my times. All right. So good at this. 
Brian. This call is being recorded. Hi, Brian. Thank you so much for talking Hi. with me. You're welcome. And this is Brian Metters. My name is Brian Metters. I used to be a trial lawyer in Arkansas, and a large part of my practice was handling civil rights cases. He was the attorney arguing on behalf of the parents who wanted Potter to be freely available in Cedarville School Libraries. He's retired now, but agreed to take my call from his home in Memphis, Tennessee. Can you tell me what your side in this case was arguing? My clients had a First Amendment right to access information. And this case focused on the issue of how much control, if any, a school board can exercise on the content that is already in the school library. Can they restrict certain viewpoints because they don't personally like them or they find that it goes against their religion? Or is a school library an open forum and age-appropriate material can be freely distributed? We believe that it was the latter. And now I'm going to fast forward that episode a little bit to get some words with the lawyer that represented the parents that did not want the books to be available in the library of this public school. The battle is over these five books with LGBTQ themes. These books and lifestyle choices are destructive and wrong. Would you say that these cases involving Harry Potter-related book bans and restrictions are now the kind of precedent that is protecting LGBTQ books in public libraries? Yes, I think that's fair. The part of the legacy of Harry Potter is that it's going to protect a lot of the LGBTQ books. That's right. Because the courts ruled in favor of that first lawyer you heard speaking about, saying there's a First Amendment right for kids to have access to age-appropriate material, and that you can't take away that access because you don't agree with what's being said in it. So these were Christians that were saying, like, these books are dangerous, they're harmful, they're going to teach kids witchcraft, they're going to get into being a Wiccan, and they're going to go down these dark, devilish, hellish kind of routes because being being exposed to this kind of content. And the courts ruled in favor of those who said, look, this is... People are free to access the information they want to access. You can't tell them what they can or can't see in this case. Even if you're a minor, like every every American has that First Amendment right to be able to access this information. So with those court rulings and that precedent, it's very applicable to what's going on today. Because a lot of uh, there's a lot of controversy over um things in Florida happening, which obviously me being a Floridian, I'm well attuned to. And there's things about you know LGBT books in schools, and a lot of people are having the same kind of outrage about those books and that kind of material. Some of it is a little much, though I will admit, but that's not more common than not. Um, but these same people, these same kind of arguments are coming out about these books there. And the case law, excuse me, as that last lawyer just said, is what's protecting these books and having people being able to express these other kind of lifestyles and learn about this different kind of stuff. It's because of case law established from J.K. Rowling's books and from her forging this path ahead. So I'm going to – I've spoken a little bit about the things now that uh, the fundamentalist Christians were saying about these books being dangerous and them having to be banned. Now I want to play a little bit of criticism from more recently. So let me talk about the infamous book burning video for a second. 
I am not just offended by what JK Rowling says. I am fearful because of what she is promoting on her platform. JK Rowling is literally putting trans lives at further risk. She just is. It's disgusting and it's problematic. I mean, let's face it, Hermione would punch this woman in the face right now. Harry Potter franchise is literally making this world unsafe for kids today. Sounds pretty similar to what the uh, fundamentalist Christians were saying 10, 15 years ago. So I just want to provoke thought and conversation with this. And I'm going to end my part in this conversation with a quote from J.K. Rowling from another episode of this podcast. She says, book burning is the last resort of people who cannot argue. Honestly, I don't think we need to have an argument, but I think we should have a discussion. Let's debate it. Let's talk about it. Let's not shut down the voices of anyone wanting to be part of the conversation. Let's be good to each other. Let's try to have some understanding and let's be respectful. All right, everyone, I'm going to uh, sign off with that. But thanks for listening. Love you guys. Be good. Be good.